G'day, you're live with Lunch Money, uh, your online and social media home for special situations, workouts and capital raising professionals. My name's Nick Samios, I am the fund manager uh, here at Hermes Capital and uh, I'm your live stream host. Um, the other day I was talking to my colleague Hector West, who is a partner at uh, law firm Hall & Wilcox in Perth, and I said, Hector, uh, if I buy your estate, will you come on my live stream again? Because you had some very interesting things to say last time. And uh, Hector said, I'll tell you what, you throw in a bottle of red and I'll not only get me, but I will introduce you to uh, all of my partners around the country. And what we're going to do with all of these uh, insolvency partners from Sydney, Melbourne, Perth and Brisbane is give you uh, a little bit of what they're seeing, what's crossing their desk to get a bit of a, a bit of a flavour of what's going on in insolvency and corporate restructuring around Australia. That's what we've got uh, we've got here for you today. And so I. I'm going to introduce them. I'll show. You, I'll introduce all all of them to begin with, so you can see we really do have a panel here. Mark Petruco from Sydney. We've got Hector West uh, from from uh, from Perth. Uh, we've got Scott Butler from Melbourne uh, and uh, from Brisbane. I'm sorry, from Brisbane, and uh, David Dickens from um, from Melbourne. So, uh, g'day to all of you, gentlemen, uh, and thank you very very much for uh, for joining us today to give us uh, insights. It's always good to know. Uh, you know, what solicitors are seeing because you guys are seeing the action uh, sometimes before anyone else sees it because people are coming to you guys uh, to prepare the actions and build defences and build, uh, um, you know, claims and enforcements and all that sort of stuff. So it will give us a, a really good window. Before we, before we go around the ground, so to speak, uh, I wanted to start off with you, Scott, uh, because you're going to tell us a little bit about this... Um, this new um, schemes of arrangement. Uh, the, the government is saying that they're going to uh, tweak the schemes of arrangement, helping companies restructure by improving schemes of arrangement, accredited scheme of arrangement. Well, what is accredited scheme of arrangement? Um, if you could tell us what it is and what they're going to do, just give us a bit of a snapshot. Yeah, that, sure. Scott. absolutely. Thanks very much, Nick. So accredited scheme is it's a um, effectively a court-approved arrangement where... Um, the court approves a compromise of the creditors' claims, so um, they're not they're not very common schemes, creditors' schemes of arrangement. Actually, I mean, they're also shareholder schemes of arrangements, which are, are used more commonly to affect takeovers generally. But creditors' schemes are not that common. In fact, if you think about how many there were in the last five years, there was three of them nationally in um, FY18, one in. Uh, FY19 and only two in FY20. So we had five of these things in the last three years throughout the whole of Australia. And the reason there are so few of them is generally the cost. Um, uh, there's only a, a few you know, big law firms generally who are doing this kind of work, considering there's not many of them around. And the, the fees for one of these is usually about 500 grand um, on, a, on average. Okay. So, <laughs> All right. So it's a, a nice one when it does cross your desk. Let, let me ask you, um, so... You know, they 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 changed the uh, they they brought in the small business restructuring to to tackle the small end. My understanding yeah. is that the schemes of arrangement, obviously, with a five hundred thousand dollar fee, uh, presumably that's uh, that's that's the uh, the flag fall. Um, yeah. I mean, what what is it about a scheme of arrangement that is particularly useful for a large company, and what is it what does it achieve that VA doesn't achieve that they think needs tweaking? Yeah, well, usually they're used to. Um, yeah, at that big end of town to to compromise secure creditor debt. Um, so you know you can't do that in an administration. In an administration, 
um, the school creditors, they maintain their rights. If they don't vote in favour of a, a deed of company arrangement, for let's, let's say, then um, they're not bound by it. But what you can do in a scheme is is compromise um, secured debt. And so generally we're talking about, because of the, you know, because we're talking about big matters, we're talking probably about syndicated facilities or um, sometimes secured bonds um, um, and e even potentially unsecured bonds. But um, so I reckon the majority of these schemes are, are usually where um, there's already some sort of potential agreement. Usually you line these things up before you actually apply to the court. So you get together with a secured creditor, you, you, you come to um, a compromise with them. The reason why you need, though, um, a scheme rather than just doing a consensual arrangement with your secured creditor is generally there might be one um, secured creditor in the syndicate who doesn't agree, or you might have a bunch of secured creditors. Um, and it's um, because what you, as long as you get the approval of um, a certain uh, number in terms of value, of your secured creditors, you can, um, and they vote in favour of the scheme. You can bind the other secured creditors who who may may not be um, happy with the the restructure. So that's why they usually use. Right. So I remember years ago, was it News Corp that uh, back in the recession we had to have? I, I don't want to malign them if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was News Corp back in about '91, and there was there was 20 uh, lenders in the syndicate, and there was one holdout that. Uh, yep. I th uh, yeah. Um, and I think they had. I think that holdout ended up getting 100 cents in the dollar. I can't remember the details. Actually, I wasn't even yep. really that uh, that insolvency literate at the time. But uh, okay. So the idea is. So so they're going to make it. Presumably, they're, they're tweaking these measures. Although they've asked. I think they're asking for uh, industry feedback at this stage. Uh, yeah. No. So they're asking for industry yeah. feedback. And the, yeah. the discussion paper came out about a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah. There's really sort of three or four things. Main things they're looking at. The first is. Um, and probably the, the most of the discussion papers re revolved around this idea of introducing a moratorium. Um, so at the moment, if you think about voluntary administration, as soon as you put an administrator into a company, there's that moratorium that creditors um, that comes in. So creditors can't continue to take action against the company and try and wind it up while it's going through the voluntary administration process. But you don't have that in schemes. Um, so, you know, with a scheme, you have to come up with a scheme proposal. You have to... Um, uh, lodge the relevant documents with ASIC, you've got to make a court application, you've got to go hold some meetings um, of creditors, and then you go back to court. And during that whole time, you don't actually have a moratorium to prevent the unsecured creditors or the people, um, the creditors who are not happy with the scheme from continuing to apply to, you know, enforce their debts against the company and try and wind the company up. And so what they're thinking about is let's bring in a moratorium. Um, and they're looking at, you know, what should that moratorium be and getting feedback in relation to that kind of moratorium. There's a couple of other things they've they're also talking about um, and have asked for some feedback on the um, two of those things are what um, voting in relation to schemes. So at the moment, um, when you in these creditor schemes, you you divide the creditors into different classes depending upon whether they're secured creditors or unsecured, um, and then each of those classes have to vote in favour of the scheme. And there has to be a special resolution. So you've got to get 75% in value and 50% in number. And if you don't get, um, if one of those classes votes against it, the whole scheme fails. So they're, they're thinking about, you know, should we change that voting? So it's similar to like liquidation or administration where you just need 50% in value and 50% in number. Um, the other thing they're thinking about is this idea potentially of cross-class cram down. So... Some of your listeners would um, know a bit about maybe the process in, in the US in Chapter 11, um, 
where they have a very similar voting process in relation to classes, but if um, uh, if at least one class votes in favour, even if there's you know multiple classes which vote against, the court still has the discretion over there to approve a um, a plan under Chapter 11 if it's equitable in the courts if the court thinks it's you know the right thing to do, and so that's a possibility. Um, they have that actually in the UK and in Singapore in relation to their schemes already. So, and I think that's a really good idea. This cross-class cram down. And just the last comment on, on this is. The other thing that they're asking about is whether they, we should introduce this um, idea of debtor in possession financing in relation to schemes. So, you know, commonly referred to as dip financing. And again, you know, dip financing has been available in the ch in Chapter 11, you know, for obviously many many years. Um, and the idea about dip financing is that you, the court, with the court approval in the right circumstances, you can allow new finance to come in. And they can take a super priority, so they can take secu um, their security position can be given a priority over all existing secured creditors and, of course, unsecured creditors. Um, and I actually well, adopted that in um, in Singapore not long ago. So, um, you know, I, personally, I think it's a good idea to introduce this idea of dip financing uh, into. Well, well, yeah, I'll tell you. I mean, when they introduce debtor in possession financing in Australia, uh, I will be at the front of the queue. You know what? There, there is so much we could talk about. We could talk about an hour for that. We could talk about what dip financing is. We could talk about the the features of Chapter 11. And uh, it's. I think that this scheme of arrangement sounds like it's something that is lawyer-led as opposed to accountant-led. But uh, we, you've covered that now. What we'll do is we'll do our round the ground. So thank you very much, Scott. We'll come back to you last. Um, I think we'll start our, um, around the grounds with uh, Hector West. Before we do that, the reason I'm, I want to go to this camera now and just remind everybody that we are live. Uh, and if you ask a question live or make a comment, I'll send you this mug. Um, and just a reminder to don't forget to uh, share, like and subscribe uh, to our live stream so you get notifications and you don't miss out on any of this uh, wonderful Content. I can't imagine what uh, what the what the what the chargeable uh, chargeable half hour would be for these four wonderful uh, insolvency partners, and you're getting all that for free on this live stream. Okay, um, Hector West, how are you doing? Hi, Nick. Very good. Thanks. Um, thanks for having us. Um, round the grounds, um, just to give you an update from you know personal observations in Western Australia. Um, what we've observed is there's a large number of disputes around shareholders' rights and disputes between different shareholders. Um, there's also a fair number of partnership disputes and also disputes in relation to trust um, between beneficiaries and um, trustees. Um, insolvency, you know, from what I've seen and also the data that we, that we re uh, monitor, it's been at an all-time low, whether it's informal appointments or formal appointments. Um, there are a few informal um, workouts on the go at the moment, um, but naturally those things are regularly quite private. Um, what we have seen is a significant ramp up by, by the regulators, um, whether it's ASIC, the Building Commission, and also um, the inquiry into the Crown Casino. Um, there's been a fair bit of activity um, around those sort of things in Western Australia. Is that right? Okay, so, yes. so so they sort of held off uh, shooting the prisoners and bayoneting the wounded uh, early on in the in the COVID, but they're 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 now uh, dragging the files out. Uh, look, whether that's right or wrong, um, I think um, commercial life needs to continue, yeah. and um, at some stage, you know, we need to we need to step up the regulation to make sure it continues in a proper form, 
notwithstanding the challenges that, you know, as a commercial society have at the moment. And you, you said a lot of litigation. I was talking to someone, uh, a yes. lawyer, uh, a little bit earlier this morning, and he said there's nothing new crossing the desk, but there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of ongoing litigation. So are you finding that as well? Well, if we break it up, there is new litigation in the commercial litigation space, um, but in terms of insolvency-related um, litigation and bankruptcy, um, most of it would be pre-COVID um, type of disputes. But yeah, as I said, in terms of um, other disputes, there's a fair bit of new ones coming across the desk at the moment. And what about uh, by sector? Uh, I mean, obviously, everybody thinks Perth, they think mining. Uh, you know, you've had solid iron ore prices. Uh, certainly, uh, any mining services connections that we've got in WA seem to be going very well. Um, yes. So is it, uh, but then again, you've had some, uh, I think since the last time we spoke, uh, I think you've had some high-profile collapses in the uh, in the commercial construction sector. Um, so, sort of looking across industries, what what do you see? Well, um, looking into the crystal ball, I would say um, the the problems we have in Western Australia, um, whether it's you know on an immediate level or long term, is um, supply in terms of trades or skilled trades for that matter and also equipment for the trades to complete the jobs. Um, what I can see is significant delays, and it's already happening um, in terms of certain projects, and um, it's highly likely that the contracting parties will start to enforce you know, their rights under the contracts, um, and which will, of course, lead to more disputes that there are at the moment. That's kind of what I'm suspecting going to happen in the you know, 60 12 months from now. Well, well, I tell you what, can I tell you, that's very interesting you say that, because I would say that... You know, out of, you know, three out of the last five matters that I've seen the last couple of days have been people looking for funding to buy new equipment for, for, because they're winning more work, but they do have legacy issues. So they're not being out, they're not able to get it from traditional funders. They may have, you know, a bit of ATO debt that needs catching up. Uh, you know, they've got a few war wounds that are making them a little bit unattractive for the bank. So I think you could be onto something there. So uh, that's, yeah, that's my suspicion. And I mean, we've seen it. Um, post Olympics in New South Wales, you know, the construction boom we had there, and then the fallout from that, you know, there were GST legacy issues. Um, there were always um, the disputes about defects and all of those things. Oh, I can see that happening, you know, in the, you know, in the sort of mid to longer term future. Okay. All right. Well, look, uh, why don't we have a chat with David Dickens next? David is in Melbourne. Still in lockdown now, aren't you? We certainly are, Nick. And I was um, just thinking what I was going to say, and I was trying to count what lockdown we're up to. And um, <laughs> uh, there's some funny memes going around at the moment. If I think if we get to seven lockdowns, you stamp your little card, we'll all get a free coffee or something. Um, well, yeah. I, I, I think for us, it, it, it felt like we we're really getting the wind behind us um, about two, three months ago. Then we went into lockdown again, and then we, 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 hadn't really come out to be honest um I, I made it into the office twice um got to a restaurant once and then we've just rolled into another one so it's i i think the sense at the moment is we're just kind of going to be stuck either in lockdown or basically a lockdown until um we get to that certain stages in the commonwealth's plan and it's it's certainly been pretty hard i think for the industries that have been affected it you know it felt like this was going to be temporary then you'd come out but i, I really feel for um uh, particularly restaurants that with about two hours notice um a week or two ago just had everything cancelled on them and it must be shocking the amount of um 
produce that is um, that is wasted. I I was going to be taking a client out to a very nice restaurant and we, we had to cancel because someone was unwell and I called up and the, the poor guy, he, he was almost in tears. I think that really shows what's going on when, you know, even at the, the nicer places in town that are normally very schlick and professional, um, you know, they're really sort of opening up and showing what's happening. And, uh, yeah, I mean, look, certainly when, you, when you're in lockdown, it's very hard to stick to your 14 standard drinks a week. I know that much. So what is it? What, what are you seeing? What's coming across your desk? Are you a little bit like Hector, whether it's, it's, it's litigation dominant? There's not really a lot of insolvency yet, although the numbers do seem to be ticking up. Uh, no, there's not. There's not a lot of a lot of insolvencies. The, the numbers are higher year on year, but I mean that's not surprising. And the fact that the numbers are still um, lower than what they were in, you know, if you look at month on month, um, going back two years to compare it to pre-COVID, it's still lower, and that's quite it's quite extraordinary, really. Um, so it's it's still not picking up or sort of back to normal in that respect. I like like the others. I'm seeing a lot of litigation though so a lot of us are keeping busy with matters that are purely insolvency um, i've got shareholder disputes on at the moment and often you see the COVID factors that i think these disputes have probably always sort of been there but have been suppressed a bit and then COVID can kind of bring out some of the factors and that can be geographical as well where someone's based in one place and someone else in another and now they can't connect face to face one person's trying to run a business remotely and that can really bring out feelings of unfairness and and the dispute then um, becomes quite serious yeah i think things can definitely fester when you don't have the opportunity to have regular face-to-face communications particularly if you're someone of my generation i reckon i don't know maybe it applies to everybody but you know they think you know you, you do need that contact and the other thing of course is the money runs down so i suppose you know, when uh, when you know when when things are going well and there's money in the bank, you know, you can probably put up with a few, uh, you know, with a few things. Um, and do I, I, do you think that you, you mentioned that the insolvency numbers are down? Um, I mean, do you think that there that there's just a backlog? Because even if everything went back to normal tomorrow, you know, under normal, there's corporate restructuring every day, every week. Um, you know, so do you, is there a backlog, or what's holding them back? What what you know what? What do you, what do you think? I, I think there's a lot of zombie companies there. Um, I think we will never sort of catch up all of that work that has been foregone. And I say that because when some of these companies eventually get wound up, I think the trail will just be too cold um, right. for what went on. So it, it, another interesting statistic is the very significant increase in the number of new company registrations. Now, a, a lot of us are wondering. What what do you read into that? Does that indicate, at a worst case, phoenixing going on? And we're not going to really find out about that until creditors actually start winding up these um, dormant companies, get in there and find out that the assets are actually transferred across? Or is that actually just a fantastic bit of data because it shows people starting new enterprises and um, there's there's growth in other sectors of, of the economy? So that's going to be very interesting, I think, when... Um, we actually get into some of these companies at the moment that are insolvent. But the, the, the reason for that, I think, is not, no one's really chasing the debts. And the, the ATO, that's the most common driver there, um, is not, um, as I understand it, pursuing winding ups at the moment. So we're going to have to wait and see. Yeah, well, that's an interesting observation. I, I didn't know about that stat with the um, the new company registrations. When we do the uh, 
the um, replay version of this, we may find a graphic to to throw up uh, to show that those stats. I mean, I guess it could be uh, it, it could be you know people uh, need you know uh, doing side hustles, you know, when they're working from home, and side hustles can turn into you know blossoming businesses. So uh, that that could be a wonderful thing. I have heard that some businesses aren't even bothering going through an insolvency pr uh, process, and they're just starting again and. You know, so maybe there's an element of that as well. All right, listen, David, thank you very much for that. Um, what we will do next is we'll travel. We've, we've started in Perth. We've travelled across uh, across the Nullarbor to Melbourne, and now we're going to go north to Sydney. We're uh, going to talk to Mark Patrico. How are you going, Mark? Hello, Nick. Uh, great to see you, and thank you for the opportunity. Um, been a uh, uh, long-time listener, first-time a presenter this time. Oh, fantastic. That way. Well, very good, um, very good. Well, hopefully it won't be the last time. No, what, indeed. What, what, what's crossing your desk? No, uh, much in the same sentiment as you've heard from my uh, colleagues, um, the insolvency work has been legacy work. So it's pre-COVID um, uh, litigation and workouts. Um, I think the government initiatives is coupled with um, the banking uh, waivers and, and measures implemented over the last 18 months has certainly assisted the economy, but in circumstances where you would ordinarily have anticipated during a distressed economy, you would see an increase in, in um, uh, insolvencies, the figures have plummeted. Um, but to David's point, um, we have been noticing a significant increase in um, new uh, incorporations, which, as you've both touched upon, either identifies that there are people who are now showing the entrepreneurial ship and they've launched their own new businesses, or um, which may well be part of the, the explanation. Um, there are a number of companies which have been hibernating, um, probably zombies, and a new entity has started. So, um, phoenixing activity. Um, that's very prevalent. Uh, sorry, pre-COVID um, uh, within discussion with, within government. Government is um, apoplectic about stamping up bad director behaviour. Um, right. Throughout throughout these um, uh, last you know, year and a half, we're still seeing um, government um, or instrumentalities taking stern action against um, bad director behaviours, whether it be um, prosecutions through ASIC, um, proceedings brought by ASIC to uh, freeze assets, uh, bring appoint liquidators to companies, take control of entities. Um, or the ATO equally, um, although they are in a, you would think, in a dormant phase at the moment, they are ready to um, launch their DPNs where they feel that there are circumstances which do not meet the ATO requirements uh, for waivers or, or payment arrangements to support a business. Um, All right. Well, well okay. Well, uh, so, so I guess you're saying that, Directors, not, you're not going to get away with anything with bad behaviour uh, at the moment. The other thing is everyone has an opinion on the ATO. You know, everyone seems to have, they know someone, they're talking to someone and they've got special information. Uh, our, our friend Ian Hyman told me uh, there's going to be 100 uh, notices issued a week. This is about four months ago. And I, I don't think, you know, we, we haven't seen that. So, I mean, what, what do you, are they just lying dormant? Because now we're in the Delta and... You know, we've got troops in the ground in Western Sydney. I mean, are the ATO just going to lay, lay off or are they, or are they, as you're saying, just making lists and taking stock? 
Uh, my sense is, um, I know we should be running a tote on 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 when is the the, the launch? Yeah, you know, when are they going to hit the ballistic <laughs> button? Um, I suspect that it might be in 2022. You know, because I think all of government, both at all levels, uh, are vigilant trying to bring the pandemic under control. And once we see some greater um, uh, controlling of this pandemic, particularly this the Delta virus, as you mentioned, I think you'll probably see that on the other side of Christmas, you know, perhaps in the new year, there'll be an increase in activity by um, the the ATA, the, so as to bring bring in collection slowly, but certainly the issue of DPNs is on their horizon. Okay. All right. Well, look, uh, let's uh, thank you very much for that, Mark. Um, what thank we'll you. do is just uh, head a little bit further north now uh, and go back to Brisbane, back to Scott. Um, so good day again, Scott. Now, listen, I don't know if my producer managed to queue up a little tiny bit of footage. Have you got it? Let's just see. I don't know if you watched the Cut away down towards third man. That is a highly accomplished Test Match 100 from KL Roll. Terrific technique. Now, Scott, you're asking yourself, what the devil does KL Rahul have to do with me? Yeah. Well, let me tell you, you are the 100th unique guest on Lunch Money. So there you go. Oh, I just wanted to uh, celebrate that moment. Now, Hector's been on before, so you don't count, Hector, because you've already been on. But you're my 100th uh, unique guest. So thank you very much. Yeah. I didn't want to break, break your flow of concentration. Um, what are you seeing crossing your desk? Oh, I think, you know, it, it, the story is much the same as as the other gents have um, have talked about. Not a lot of insolvency work, but I mean, the, 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 the stuff the stuff I'm getting, which is insolvency related, is, is just a bit random. Um, you know, it's certainly not. I don't think it's necessarily COVID related. So, I've uh, got a cattle a live export cattle company out of the Northern Territory. Um, it's got issues which are not 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 COVID related. Just uh, um, disputes between the individuals involved. Um, uh, acting in relation to the, the collapse of uh, international um, finance companies. Um, oh, you're acting on, on that one, are you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, in, in relation okay. to that, so okay. angle there. Um, but I mean, I think from a Queensland perspective, what I expect to really getting hurt up here is is the lockdowns, um, the border closures with the tourism sector. So um, right. we haven't seen too much of it coming yet, but I reckon it's just bottling up and bottling up. We've got Cairns, which is getting smashed from no, no international tourists. Um, Gold Coast is getting um, smashed from the Victorians and the, and the people from New South Wales not being able to get up there. Sunshine Coast is similar, although the Sunshine Coast tends to be that if Queenslanders can get there, they'll go there before they go to the Gold Coast. So it gets a bit of a um, get, get some people locally going if we're not locked down. Uh, I really do think that these can, that the, the Longer the lockdowns go, the longer the border closures go, there will be a really serious impact in the in the um, those tourism businesses. I think, like David has said, um, a lot of them have already closed down and they're not being formally wound up because nobody's doing anything about it. This, the insolvency statistics right. don't reflect all the businesses which have already closed their doors, um, and nothing will happen to the in respect of those for for years so, to come. So, so you so you do subscribe to the theory that there are companies that are just closing their doors yep. and they might turn up in, you know, some some uh, unsecured creditor might liquidate them in two years' time or yep. they'll be, a, you know, and they'll, they'll disappear. But they'll, they're, they're just ghosting, basically. Yeah, they're just ghosting. Yeah. All right, I now, listen, so, what... Every second cafe is like that in, um, yeah, in yeah, CBD. Yeah. 
Now, I wanted to ask you, because uh, you were nominated uh, on this uh, scheme of arrangement thing, uh, I mean, Hall & Wilcox is a national firm, obviously, and I know that you're not just an insolvency firm. You've got lots of other strings to to your bow. You've got other partners doing all sorts of uh, wonderful things. Um, Do you do do much secured creditor work as a firm or yourself? Uh, We do a bit. Um, We we don't do as much as some of the other other players, but we act for a couple of the... So we act for um, Westpac, we act for Bendigo Bank, um, in that sort of sphere. Plus, we we do a lot of work for the the, the next level of um, secured lenders, so the the, the, the mezzanine and, and, and mid tier type lenders, particularly in the property right. sector. Yeah, right. Okay. I mean, I have a theory that um, I, I think when you know, again, when the action starts. Uh, I don't think there's going to be as much bank action as people are expecting because over the last little while, uh, a lot of there's a, a proliferation of private lenders, you know, with all the, the low interest rates and all the rest of it. It's poured a, little, a lot of capital into that non bank sector. And yeah. I just wonder if that's where, where the action is. So if you're dealing with those people, you're in the right space by the side. Oh, definitely. It definitely will be next because, you know, the yeah. people that. The banks are so hesitant in terms of enforcement. They've got so much bad publicity that probably the only parties that, that actually will take some enforcement step when when things you know are in default are those kind of lenders. So okay. I agree. All right. Well, look, what we're going to do is thank you very much for that, Scott. We'll just come back as a panelist. Thank you very much, Jill. Jill's asked a question, and I'll let uh, one of you gentlemen sort of volunteer to answer it. Uh, For our listeners, if the general view is that ASIC has focused on actions against directors, that insolvency work has not recovered, what are thoughts on the estimated increase in the ASIC levy on registered liquidators? So she's saying... There's more corporate malfeasance, but the insolvency guys aren't seeing work. You know, what, what do you think about the increased levy on, on registered liquidators? Who wants to feel that one? Uh, who's going to yeah. go first? <laughs> I'm happy if you want to. Yes. I, mean, I don't think that's directly related because yeah. the, I mean, the ASIC levy is really in relation to the amount of enforcement activity and, and regulation that ASIC needs to do in respect of liquidators themselves. So... Um, there shouldn't really be necessarily direct correlation between ASIC actually taking action against directors and an increase in the levy. So, Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Jill Lawrence, for your question. Much appreciated. Um, now, who was talking a bit earlier about concern for supply chain? I think that might have been... That, that, that was you, Hector? So, did you, so yeah, you in terms of con- in construction space, I think. That's right. Um, so just I talk us through your concern then. Um, look, what, what the um, evidence is that we have in Western Australia is that for construction projects, we have a shortage of, of equipment and also a shortage of um, skilled staff, um, probably because um, a variety of reasons, you know, supply from overseas as a start, but also skills probably because of our hard border. Um, and I think that would cause problems down the line in terms of performance of contracts, especially with certain timeframes that have been agreed to. Um, naturally, most of these things would be outside the contracting parties' control. So I, I do see a bit of a problem there um, in terms of delays and, and claims that would follow from that. Okay. Well, that's interesting that Hector says that, and he's from uh, he's from West Australia, which may as well be on another planet at the moment. You've got nothing like uh, what the rest of us are going through. What, what about uh, someone from the East Coast? I mean, we've had, you know, in, in, in Sydney... You know, we haven't even been able to get tradies on site in some instances. They're, they're letting the tradies loose just a little bit in a restricted basis. But I, I wonder whether or not that's got the same sort of issues. Does anyone want to pick up that, that line of thinking? 
I think it was actually me, Nick, that yeah. raised that mm. before we started uh, talking. And uh, there's a couple of examples which I, I've been involved in. One is um, just, I mean, you think about trying to get a new car at the moment is impossible. Um, freight, freight costs getting stuff into Australia is increased, um, I think, about tenfold from what it used to be in terms of how much you pay, you pay for it to get a container to the country. Um, I love riding my bicycles and my bike mechanic tells me that he can't get bike frames, he can't get bike parts. Um, he, he, he foresees, a, you know, in two or three months' time where they won't actually be able to sell any new bikes or um, build them up because they won't have the parts. You can't get timber on building sites. Um, I just think this whole supply chain issue is, is, a, is a big issue. I think it's going to start to bite soon um, where you simply cannot as a business get the product that you normally want to supply um, into the country or at a reasonable cost. So I think that's something we need to watch. So you're seeing that as uh, people not having goodies on the shelves, whatever those shelves might be, uh, whereas Hector's sort of seeing it as a bit of a threat to uh, ability to perform, I think, if I'm hearing yeah, you correctly. Yeah, a bit of both, isn't it? Yeah. But a bit of both, a bit of both. Yeah. Okay. Uh, our friend uh, Frank Lapilato has thrown in a question. Let's see what Frank says. Should we... Oh, okay. He's, uh, Frank is an insolvency uh, <laughs> practitioner, so he's uh, he's jumped on this uh, ASIC one. Thank you very much, Frank. Hope you're doing well down there in lockdown uh, lockdown Canberra. Should we provide funding through ASIC up to 5000 to 10000 to liquidate these zombie companies for liquidators. So uh, zombie companies are an issue. Everybody knows about them. If these things are ghosting, I think that's a term that I've started using, um, who's going who's gonna to want to wind them up? What do you think? Uh, David, what do, what do you think? Uh, it's, it's really it's a question of whether it's in the public interest, isn't it, to be spending some money there? there there's obviously you know, some pretty decent policy arguments that someone's got to deal with these companies. Um, so... Some sort of scheme to support that I, I, I think would be a good idea um, because if, if there has been bad behaviour um, or if there are um, you know, unreasonable director or related transactions or the like, it would be better to get in there now um, and get things right before the trail gets too cold. But un unfortunately, the difficulty we've got is the, the insolvency is somewhat unique. I mean, if you think about it, if someone... Imagine if the system was if someone robs your house... Um, you've got to pay for the police to turn up and you've got to pay them to investigate. That's kind of what we have with this system. So at some point there is a need, I think, to have a bit more of a think about how you actually fund um, liquidations, particularly where there's wrongful conduct. And I'm not sure the answer um, is trying to put that cost back onto liquidators. It's all a bit circular. Oh, there you go, Frank. Thank you very much uh, once again. Can I just add to that, if I may, yeah. Nick? Sorry. Yeah. Um, um, and I think the approach is is commendable that um, that we should be doing something to actually uh, bring these new these zombie or ghosting companies to to a finality so that um, practitioners can then do what they do best and investigate so as to uh, act in the best interest of creditors. But if we turn the prism just slightly and think about how could we do that, you know, some of us on this on this webinar might recall that um, there was a time when companies would, proprietary limited companies would have to submit an annual return with ASIC. I'm not suggesting that we go back to that day, but maybe some form of, of um, declaration of, of solvency or financial support. And if that sort of declaration document is not lodged with ASIC, it might then trigger an alert that is a miss, which might lead to some form of, not a deregistration, but a warning that, um, 
accounts haven't been, uh, that declaration of solvency has not been submitted, um, which then might lead to um, a deregistration process similar along those lines. So that becomes an automatic process rather than um, a cost outlay to um, the community. What about BAS statements and that sort of thing? Well, it, the way in which the um, government's been moving of late to um, so that all departments speak to each other, that would also lead into the ability for, to measure across, you know, lodgements for BAS and, and GST returns and the like. So it would be tra uh, traceable. Um, and if you're meeting those requirements, then um, it could then lead to ASIC taking an automated process that your business will be deregistered or placed into a form of external administration. Okay, now look, we've got a, another slightly technical question here. So Michael Murray proposes merging insolvency under the umbrella of AFSA, i.e. removing it from ASIC and utilising a government liquidator for these types of companies. What are the panel's thoughts on this? And congrats to the Century Scotty. Thank you very much to Matthew Hudson. Um, who wants to take that one? Probably your turn there, Scott, since you've got to mention. Okay. Um, Utilising a government liquidator for these types of companies, uh, I don't I think it's such, well, first of all, in terms of actually um, merging things into um, AFSA, AFSA do a great job. I, I mean, I think, I think probably, um, I don't want to have too much of a crack at ASIC. Uh, I know some good people there, but I think in terms of the way that they regulate the um, bankruptcies uh, and uh, personal insolvency they've, 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 they do a very good job they're um, probably I think you speak to most bankruptcy trustees they probably think that they do a bit of a better job in relation to that than, than um, on the corporate side so um, I, I've actually been a long-term proponent I think of having a single insolvency regulator too I can't really understand why we have um, two insolvency regulators uh, you know very I can't think of another country that does that uh, so it sounds like it makes sense to have a single um, regulator, um, utilising a government liquidator. Uh, again, why not? It's a it's a it's a good it's a good idea. Um, we do it for bankruptcy. Why wouldn't we do it in relation to you know, zombie type companies in, in the corporate um, sphere? Uh, they would be dealt with, and um, there would be obviously public funding for it. So I think I think it's actually a pretty good idea. I guess uh, I guess thank you uh, uh, thank you very much um, to to Matthew Hudson for that question. Very much appreciated. Good to see that uh, we're getting uh, insolvency people in Brisbane uh, tuning in. Um, the uh, I guess it's got pluses and minuses. I guess because because some of these insolvencies are actually they they cost money, don't they? And, and the, the insolvency people are forced to do them. So uh, if someone else is doing them for free, I guess it's a cost burn that they don't have to they don't have to bear. Um, we we're nudging up against the forty minute mark, which means that we're running out of time. So uh, firstly, to our our um, our viewers, uh, Matthew, you've you've earned yourself one of these G and Blue in, uh, inside uh, lunch money mugs. Uh, as has Frank, if we haven't seen you, Frank. Jill, we can send you another one, but we are getting this wonderful range of lunch money caps. So uh, I might send you one of those, Jill. Um, but but I'm going to do a one more quick around the ground. So you, this is your last chance uh, to get a uh, to get a. Um, to get a question in as we do that. So look, we'll we'll go in the same order that we started. So just a chance to put in some final thoughts. Uh, Hector? Uh, look, um, not much final thoughts from Western Australia, you know, other than um, we are thinking about our friends over east and uh, now in Canberra where Frank is, is based. Um, 
And, um, you know, it's, it's, it was just good to see everyone for a change. Thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you very much, Hector, for uh, for uh, for organising this. And yes, there will be a steak and a bottle of red as soon as we're uh, allowed to come across the border. Uh, I think we then went to uh, Melbourne next. David, closing thoughts? Uh, th th thanks a lot for having us, Nick. Um, I, I think the real question here is ATO activity, so we'll, we'll watch that with great interest. Okay, I should really see. I should write to the ATL and see if I can get someone there to come on, uh, come on lunch with <laughs> me. That'd be hilarious, wouldn't it? Uh, Mark Petruca, what, what? Uh, any closing thoughts from yourself? Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Um, again, sentiments to one and all to be safe, um, but certainly reach out because I, I do see that um, there'll be a heightened commercial dispute um, wavelength coming through. So uh, we we are here to help. Okay, very good. And finally, in Brisbane. Um, yeah, thanks again. I think that uh, the, the wave, if it's going to come, it will be uh, mid next year uh, and going forward. So we've got a while to wait. Mid next year. Mm. Wow. Uh, so, so you think so, so? You think that before we see any serious uh, uptick in restructuring work, we're talking about mid next year. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Can I just, just very quickly, uh, does anyone want to, does everybody concur? Mark, do you concur mid next year? Uh, I'm thinking maybe, depending on when the election's called, a federal election, a lot of the federal government um, utilities will go into um, a, a hibernation, the ATO, I mean, in this example. So if once the election's announced, they will um, put pens down for the six weeks leading in, in case there's a change of government, which leads to a change in policy, then they pick up their pens. But I'm, I'm thinking as well, it's around Easter, middle of next year. Wow. Okay. What do, what do you think, Hector? Quickly, what's your... So we've got Easter, um, we've got middle... Oh, look, I, I don't want to really put a, a time on it, but what I would say is I think once we've hit the vaccination targets that the federal government's been promoting, um, there'll be a gradual increase in recovery. And um, at some stage, you know, whatever that time frame will be, there'll be a spike in, um, in insolvencies. Okay. Uh, what I've got, I've just got it. And what about yourself, David? What's your uh, after the election? After the election, and right now, Rajiv Gagal uh, from Wexted Advisors in Sydney says, "Think we will see fallout Q4 this year." So Rajiv, uh, Rajiv's uh, bringing it forward. Thanks a lot, Rajiv. Appreciate you uh, making a comment. I'm sure, I'm, sure he, I'm sure he means Q4 in financial year. Oh, Q4 financial year. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, I guess so. All right. All right. So you're going to uh, you're going to claim that one, Scott. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Look. Um, thank you very much. Thank you very much to uh, to Scott Butler, Mark Petruco, Hector West, and David Dickens from uh, Hall and Wilcox. It's been wonderful uh, to have you on. Really appreciate you. Um, really appreciate you coming uh, together and giving us that uh, national perspective. Thank you to everybody who's watched us live and uh, thrown your questions in. Really appreciate that as well. And thanks to all of our listeners on podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., etc. Um, look forward to speaking with everybody. Well, seeing you all again next week. Thanks a lot, guys. Cheers.